This is Metal Mike, and in this episode of the 80s Glam Metal Cast, we talk to the original drummer of Sabotage, Steve Doc Wackles. We go through his history with the band, and if he would ever play with Sabotage again. We also discuss his current band, Reverence. Check it out. Well, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. Doc, how you doing tonight, man? Doing killer, man. Doing killer. Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, man, let's fast forward back to the beginning. So was it like 1980 when you uh, started jamming with the Oliva Boys? Before that, brother. Was it? Before Actually, that? the first time I met them and played with them was 1977. Wow. As a kid. Wow. What was it like? Well, in all fairness, man, Chris was just a guitar god back then at 14 years old. He was just way over the top for his age. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was... Um, it was a learning experience, for sure. I had to hone my craft to keep up with those guys. I mean, they both both Olivas are very, very talented, and so I had to come up and uh, you know practice a little more. And finally, in '79, we called it a full time gig for us. You know what I mean? So it was a lot of fun. So you pretty much knew right from the get go that there was something unique about these guys. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, the night before I auditioned back then. I went and saw this band Tower at this high school, and I'm like, holy good God, this guy is great. I had no idea. He was like 14 years old. So then the very next day, I auditioned for a band called Alien, which is John's band. And I go, wait a second. You guys are Tower. He goes, well, that's Chris's band. I go, well, you were the drummer. (laughs) He goes, well, yeah, I filled in for Chris's band. And then, of course, you know, his band was called Alien back then. So, yeah, way back. Obviously, you played with these guys for many years. What was their relationship uh, like between the two of them? Well, there was brotherly love and brotherly fights. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, but creatively, I mean, it's it's just like you, you couldn't put two better people in the room together. Chris would come up with the riffs. John would add his two cents. And together, the songwriting was just, like, unimaginable. And then, of course, later on down the road, Paul and Neil gets involved and adds his two cents. And I kind of bowed out a song right now after Fight for the Rock. I figured <laughs> that album sucked. <laughs> I better not do anything else after that. I'll stick to the business of the music and uh, learn how to twirl my drumsticks. <laughs> well, you, you touched on a good point. I mean, when you get to Hall of the Mountain King, you know, you, uh, enter Paul O'Neill. Was that the key piece that was needed, you think, to, to bring the band to success? Or That's a really good question. I mean, Paul really didn't have a lot to do with the music. What it was, was getting us back in a familiar territory called the United States and New York City. And, you know, just starting going back to our roots and writing some heavier stuff. So it was kind of, the fight for the rock was kind of a rushed era. And then going over to Europe to London and recording the album, putting us in an element we're not used to. And then trying to do an album to make the record company president happy. Mm -hmm. Now, looking back, I'm like, you know, who the hell cares? You know? And so that, that record was kind of a kind of a bad spot in our career, but you know we bounced back. Paul had a lot to do with the sound and probably some of the lyrics, and uh, you know some of the direction kind of changed after Fight for the Rock for the positive, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean he was he was an influence. I'm not going to deny him credit in any way. Yeah, I mean, and that's such a killer album. I mean, uh, every song. I mean, it's it's such a solid album. Well, we had to do something. day after day come on sabotage playing day after day it makes my flipping toes curl listening to it which i don't listen to it 
So, you know, we had to do something to come back hard and heavy. I mean, Sirens was a great album. Dungeons, a little EP was good. Mm-hmm. Power of the Night was strong. So, you know, then we come out with Fight for the Rock. What a joke. Yeah. MTV was being pretty kind to you guys at that point, too. I mean, Hall of the Mountain King was like a headbanger's ball staple. Yeah, that definitely helped propel sales. And, of course, going on tour with Megadeth and uh, Dio, that was really yeah. fantastic. We had a real good time with that, too. So, I mean, it was crazy. It was a crazy time period in the band's career that we just started kind of going in that upward motion that we needed. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, Gutter Ballet, that, that's got to be one of my favorites. I mean, I love kind of the experimentalness that's going on. You know, the, the piano's being brought in, and, and you're kind of, it's almost like a, it reminds me of Queen in some respects, because you come out with something like of Rage and War, but then we've got, you know, When the Crowds Are Gone. It's kind of, it's got a lot of cool vibes, different vibes. Yeah, the piano thing was something, you know, early on, going back before, even before Sirens, we had keyboards, because John was playing bass and keyboards. And so as we progressed, you know, we took the keyboards out of it, and then we brought them back in, you know, the whole instrumentation, piano, violin, cello, all that kind of stuff. That all kind of got added back in. Kind of Paul and Neil was kind of pushing that direction a little bit. And uh, so that's kind of more of a, more of a poly record than, let's say, Mountain King was back in the day. One thing, too, I mean, and you do this on a lot of the songs, but I notice it a lot on, um, especially the song Gutter Ballet. I mean, you're pretty much playing the riff right with the guys. I mean, you know what I mean? A lot of times somebody will keep a beat, you know, to do a fill, but, like, you're you're right in sync with all your, you know, your fills and your accents. You're pretty much playing the riff. That's a very good observation. A lot of people have never, uh, you know, heard that or figured that out. And that's really because... Chris and I would get home from school and we'd jam. And so we'd just watch each other and look. And I'd watch his right hand. And so we went through a lot of bass players early on. And John was at work or somewhere. And so it was just me and Chris playing. And come, you know, he'd come up with a riff and I'd play along with it. So very good observation, man. I'm impressed. Yeah, okay, so so in your mind is, you you know, where everybody likes to put a bass player and a drummer together, you were pretty much more following the guitar. Absolutely. Yeah. If you heard how loud Chris was in my monitor, you'd understand. <laughs> <laughs> Let the bass player follow me. <laughs> what was the touring like on that one? Who'd you guys play with on, on, on that tour? On Gutter? I think we were out with Testament. Testament. I think we were out with Trouble. Um I don't think we were doing any kind of stadiums in America then. We were just kind of doing theaters and doing a lot of, like, big clubs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Once you get to streets, what what's your thoughts on streets? Well, again, a little more Paul and Neil influence. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think the, the CD should have been put out with the bum narrating between each song because some of the stuff you kind of get lost in. It's like, well, what does that song mean? But the bum, if you look at the latest narration version of the record, it actually kind of ties it all together. And like, oh, now that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, John actually was the bum. And there was a guy that was near the studio that John kind of mimicked his voice. So, yeah. Oh, cool. You know, I'll be honest. I I think I like Streets now more than I did when it came out. I think I just like Gutter Ballet so much. And maybe Streets for me was just a little bit went too far you know almost like a pun that's what mm-hmm. the songs are almost like went too far in that direction and i think concept mm-hmm. albums like you said you know it is it's tough i mean you you could there's some concept albums where it's really clear and it's easy to follow and then there's other ones where it's not and you, you're right you need a narrator sometimes because the people that 
are making the album know the story, but the listener doesn't. And that's the part where you've really got to help them along, you know? Right, right. I know there was something in the CD book you could read, but I mean, you know, people want to listen. And so there was a bum in the very beginning, and then throughout the record, there was nothing. So the new version, like I said, wow, it even makes more sense to me. And I was there playing the stuff. So, you know, just kind of, sometimes you just can't read the, the, the writer's minds and this really kind of helps it quite a bit yeah and you think that's kind of it's almost like where paul has went with uh, or where he did go with trans-siberian orchestra you think that was kind of the early groundwork for that stuff um well i would say maybe in the back of his head i mean the whole tso thing kind of came as you know off of dead winter dead the, the Sierra mm-hmm. Evil 12 24 song which i had nothing to do with that record um it was kind of like you know, let's just try something different, and they put that on the record, and it really stuck against the wall. And if you know anything about Atlantic Records, only thing they know, they know how to work is stuff on the radio. I mm-hmm. mean, so like Epic did a great—I think it was Epic—did a great job with Clipping or Electra with Metallica. They didn't get any airplay back in the day. No. Well, Sabotage couldn't get airplay, but yeah, they can get Phil Collins airplay or ACDC or something, but not Sabotage. Uh-huh. And so they didn't know how to work us. And so, you know, those, when, when it came to a song like Sarajevo, they obviously garnered a boatload of airplay, but they couldn't do a Christmas album and, you know, band being called Sabotage. <laughs> it had to be called something else. And um, o- O'Neill wrote a book called Romanoff's Romanoff, When Kings Whisper. And so I think some of that Russian influence probably came off, you know, the whole Trans-Siberian Orchestra thing. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean that's it's funny that you talk. I mean, hey, we're heading into the Christmas season here, and it's and it's uh it, it's funny because every time I always hear that song, and you know they say, oh, it's Trans Siberian Orchestra. You know, all us sabotage nerds are like, oh, it's sabotage. It's not Trans Siberian Orchestra. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah, you got that straight. That, I mean, that's the exact recording off of the Dead Winter Dead album. Yeah, absolutely. That is that's sabotage. That is not TSO. You're right. 100%. So, so when you when we get to the point where John's out of the band and, and Zach Stevens comes in, well, what's your take on all that? Because obviously you were an active member at the time. What was what's the story behind all that? Well, you know, being a longtime player in the band and, and one quarter owner of the the band Sabotage, you know, you show up to practice and then somebody introduces your new singer. Oh, hey, this is Zach, your new singer. Kind of like, huh? Wow. You know. So it was kind of a surprise. I mean, Zach is a great, great individual, great, great singer. But at that time, it just wasn't feeling the same to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, because John was the voice of Sabotage. Right. And, you know, Zach was kind of a little bit more, I don't know, I guess poppy sounded, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like, at that time, I had a business going. I came off the road and I started a business and I was doing very well. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll do the album, but do I want a tour? You know, I'm making X amount a week, and they're going to pay me Y. And, like, you know, it just didn't make sense to me at the time monetarily. And so I chose not to tour on um, Edge of Thorns for that reason, just because I was making, you know, good jack. Do you play electronic kit on that album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Killpad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sounds good. And once again, man, I, I freaking love Edge of Thorns. I was, like I said, I was into Sabotage before, obviously, so I was kind of unsure, you know, because you're right, he is the voice of Sabotage. But man, I, I love Zach Stevens' voice. I, I think it's a great album. I like, like I said, I guess for me, what where my tastes are, you know, that's the kind of album I like. I like albums that kind of 
you know, pop all over the place and, you know, you really heavy songs and you got ballads and I like that kind of stuff. And I think Edge of Thorns kind of reminded me of Gutter Ballet and I think that's why I liked it so much because it had a similar vibe. Sure, sure. I, I don't know. I mean, again, in my mind, my heart, Sabotage will always be Chris, John, Johnny and myself. To me, that's like the band. To me, it's like mm-hmm. when I look at them and watch them now, they're kind of a cover band to me. Like, right. I don't know. That's just my personal feeling. Who's in the band that's original? Okay, John's back in the band. You know, Johnny's not original, but he's been in the band a long, long time. You know, then, mm-hmm. you know, you got these other players that I really don't even know that much about. So when you got, so when obviously Chris got in the accident, he passed away. I mean, that was, that was that the end for you as well? You didn't, you were done? Well, I think it kind of reaffirmed my decision that I made early on that year, not to tour. It kind of said, well, I guess I made the right decision. And after the funeral, we all sat down at, uh, I think it was Lori's house, which is Chris's sister. And we said, dude, it's over, man. It's done. The band can't continue without Chris, man. I mean, Chris was the center point of the band. He was the guitar god of the world in my eyes. And, you know, it just wasn't going to be the same. And then, um, I don't know, probably six, eight, ten months later, uh, I'm running my business, and I hear, hey, I hear Sabotage is recording. I'm like, huh? And that was a handful of rain. Now, why are you on the inside cover but you didn't play on it well if you really look at the band i mean the only thing i can think of is the fact that okay i've been there from the beginning johnny you know came in in like 86 let's say 85 86 and zach is 93 and alex is like what 95 so i gave some credibility to the name i guess Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah i mean i wanted to get back and do something but you know i had my own thing going and uh you know, one of them deals. Uh, I mean, it makes sense. I see what you're saying because at this point, you know, they're probably trying to show some stability in the lineup, and, and that does make sense. But I mean, from what we're right. hearing today, I mean, I think John played just about everything. Zach sang it, and Skolnick did the leads. That's pretty much it, right? I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Complete ignorance on that when I wasn't there. You know what I mean? <laughs> I did some of the press and some of the you know video video and um, album cover shot, but. I think John probably did do it. I mean, he's very capable to play every instrument on the album. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, which was obviously just uh, just a bad turn of events. I mean, Sabotage was getting pretty big with Edge of Thorns. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I remember that being on the radio all the time and, uh, you know, the video was getting played. And then to have Chris pass away... I mean, I, I mean, it's just bad, really bad timing. You know, yeah, I guess it was. Obviously, it was real bad timing. I mean, I probably would still be doing something with them musically if if Chris was around. I mean, we were pretty pretty tight, and you know, one of them deals, man. It's just, uh, it sucks. It sucks that he's been gone. I don't know, twenty six, twenty seven years. Yeah. I guess it's you one know, of the, you I know, can't believe it. It's one of those decisions that people have to make. I mean, we, we've seen a million and one bands that lose people, you know, and I think. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things. You're either going to go one way or the other. You're either going to try to keep the music going. You try to guess what that person would want. You know, people could say, oh, he would want the band to go, but you don't know. You know what I mean? You just kind of, like, that's just the way it goes for some of these bands. They keep it going. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with, and this isn't kind of downplaying anybody, is that's all they know, dude. I mean, right. what's John going to do? You know, go like swing a hammer? I mean, John knows music. He knows how to write. He knows how to play. He knows how to perform. That's what he does. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Where I went on, I learned business. I learned this. I learned that. I mean, I work for myself today. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I work 80 hours a week. 
but you know what? I got the lifestyle I want for what little time I have to <laughs> indulge in it. Right, right. So, you know, it, it's it's something where I had choices. I mean, I didn't get married in life until I was 35. I mean, I gave my, my whole life to the band. Sure. Those guys were married and doing their thing while I was, like, you know, up in New York doing stuff with, the you know, the management, uh, dealing with them on a daily basis on the phone, speaking for the band. So my life was on hold while those guys, you know, got married at an early age and, you know, had, had kids and John did anyway. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of went in a different direction, man. I just, I learned, I don't want to be controlled by a record company, a mm-hmm. booking company, a management company, you know, other band members telling me what to do or how to do it. You know, I'm just kind of more, I don't know, independent, I guess. No, it makes sense. So the talk that, comes up all the time is everybody wants to see John, Zach, uh, Chris, you know, all these guys get back together and make an album. If they ever did that and they said, hey, man, Doc, would you play on a couple of tracks? Would you be interested or no? I'd do the whole damn album. I just texted John today. I read something on, I don't know, Blabbermouth or something. Yeah. It said, you know, John's right and, and John knows I want to play again. And it was Paul's dream a real long time ago, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, that the band would come out as the band back then, and as the music progressed on in time, the other players would come out. Jeff Waters, you know, that other singer, Damon. You know, it would kind of progress through the timeline of the band, and so I'd do the early stuff, oh, yeah, okay. and uh, Play would do the later stuff. You know, that was something Paul and I talked about, and John knows about it. And, you know, I mean, I could take a month out of my life probably and, um, you know, go do some touring in Europe. I don't think I want to tour the States. Right. But I'd love to do it, man. I mean, it's not like we're becoming, getting any younger, for God's sake. That's true. <laughs> Shit, I just had a birthday last week. Uh, how old are you now? <laughs> uh, mentally or physically. <laughs> Whatever you want to say. <laughs> well, actually, I just turned 58, but I mean, I think I'm still 25, man. I, I race <laughs> motocross. I do crazy shit, you know, for my age. So I'm not your normal 58-year-old, okay? So right now, your relationship with John is pretty good, and he actually doesn't live that far away from you, right? <laughs> okay, well, <clears throat> John Oliva is in Florida. Yeah, we talk. We talk quite a bit. Um, text, talk, but Johnny Lee lives about 800 yards as the crow flies from me. He built a house on top of a mountain. He's sitting a little bit higher than I am. I'm at like 17, 1750, and he's probably at 1900 feet above sea level. So yeah, he, he built a really nice house with a blacksmith shop, and uh, I taught him that a little bit, and he's a very talented blacksmith. He raises bees, so he makes, you know, this honey. Nice. You know, he has his little hobbies, little businesses going. He actually plays in a band around here, too. Um, what the hell are they called? Ah, I can't think of the name, but um, so he plays in a little cover band around here and does has a lot of fun. Nah, he just, I mean, he got out of Florida like I did. I got out of Florida in 05. He got out, I don't know, a couple years ago. You know, Florida just became overpopulated, over just underplanned and just too crazy down there. So I kind of came up here and just built a whole new life for myself and, you know, working for myself, got two businesses going pretty good and just doing my thing man tell a lot everybody know you're still playing man you play in a band called reverence why don't you tell everybody about that well it's a friend of mine named brian holland we kind of got together back i think around 2010 and uh he wrote a song some bunch of songs with a guitar player uh pete rossi who i played with 10 years prior and uh rossi his influence was a 
You know, I've been so fortunate in my life to play with some of the greatest guitar players, and uh, Rossi was that way. He was a great guitar player. Of course, Chris was just as amazing. And uh, so, uh, you know, we added a bass player and a couple other players, and bam, next thing you know, you know, we did a record, and I uh, did two records with them. And uh, the singer, he was on uh, Todd Hall. He was on uh, The Voice. Yes, yeah. He, he did a killer job on that. But now we have a new singer, and can you believe I'm playing with another Oliva? I know, I saw that. Like, Oliva. And no <laughs> relation. <laughs> no relation, right? I don't know. Not that I'm aware of, but <laughs> he lives in Long Island. You know, John and Chris come from Jersey. I'm from Long Island. And so, like, I don't know. I don't. I mean, there's got to be some kind of tie somewhere down the, the family tree line. Strange coincidence, for sure, man. I know, right? I guess I'm just a glutton for punishment. I don't know. <laughs> so, hey, man, here's the million-dollar question. What's the favorite your favorite Sabotage album that you played on? Probably the one I haven't played on yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's that one that's going to be coming, huh? I don't know. Yeah, I guess the early stuff was a lot of fun to do, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, probably some of the early stuff. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was just playing. I was in college, and I was trying to figure out drum parts for some of these albums and you know, I've spent more time doing that than I did studying, obviously. Well, man, I appreciate all the uh, answering all these questions about sabotage. I mean, uh, and I really appreciate all the music that you contributed to over the years. Anything you want to say uh, in closing? Uh, no, I mean, I can get political, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all set with it. You know, we're burnt out. <laughs> I'm very political, you know, and Johnny is the same way as I am, too, and Oliva as well. I mean, we all are cut from the same cloth. You know, so, but I mean, I don't want to alienate any fans, and everybody has their opinion, so. But, uh, yeah, if you're looking for guns, I own a gun shop, I own a gun manufacturing company, and uh, you just look me up on Facebook. I'm around there somewhere, and, you know, let me know what you're looking for. As long as it's legal, <laughs> we, can, we can take care of you. I know New York has terrible gun laws. What kind of, what part of New York are you in? I'm in upstate. Uh, okay, well, it don't matter. They've got terrible gun laws everywhere up there. <laughs> so. Well, look, man, I appreciate your member, an old drum hack like me, man. I'm just an old packer living in the woods with too many guns. Uh, nah, man. That's what I am these days. Yeah, so. dude, you're a legend. And I, like I said, I hope this, uh, I hope Sabotage at least does one more album tour something because I think we're all, us fans, we're, we're craving it big time. Well, I hope so. I mean, um, I guess only time will tell, my brother. All right, man. Doc, thanks so much for your time, man. Be well. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Take care. Well, that was a great talk with Doc. Stay tuned for next week's episode. I've been teasing this one online. It's KISS, Return of the Phantom, the Phantom of the Park sequel concept. I'll outline it all. Subscribe so you don't miss it. Rock on.